Hey guys, Jim Cox, and I'm here today with a, uh, another interview with Lisa Hawkins. She is a relationship coach. Uh, we've uh, done some other programs together and uh, wanted to talk to her today about uh, an issue that I think a lot of people can relate to, which is uh, abusive relationships. So Lisa, thanks for taking the time to chat today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Awesome. So for people who might not have heard the other uh, programs, why don't you give uh, a little back background about how you got into being a relationship coach and kind of your experience? Uh, it started about 30 years ago uh, when I had, a I was a survivor of domestic violence, actually. And, um, and then shortly after that, um, divorce and breakup and divorce, I um, actually got into another relationship. And when that one ended, I was devastated. And so that's the point where you're sobbing for months that you stop and realize, oh my gosh, I need to change something. And so that's when I dove into relationships and what makes them work, what makes them healthy, what makes them unhealthy. And it's been a passion of mine for a very long time. So how did you transition from learning about relationships to actually helping other people deal with their own relationship issues? Well, I was trained in 2002 uh, to be a coach. Uh, and so I guess it just was a natural occurrence of already being trained and then having people uh, come to me and ask for questions. And it just evolved, actually. Hmm. So natural. Um, mm -hmm. So that's uh, interesting that you, again, you had the experience with domestic violence and an abusive relationship. So I know that, you know, um, a lot of times people are in abusive relationships and it takes them a long time to extract themselves. What are some of the factors that go into people not being able to kind of extract themselves from? you know, relationships that really aren't in there to their benefit? Well, there's two factors. One is the emotional hook that you have with the person. And the second one that a lot of people don't realize is the fact that your brain is addicted. Hmm. And uh, there's a lot of factors that go into that. Mostly it comes from conditioning as a child and growing up and um, what society has taught us. Um, but also that there's that uh, connection where the brain has already been conditioned to the ups and downs of the relationship. Hmm. Um, so I think that when you decide that you need to get out, it's very important that you plan for what's ahead of you. Because what happens is a lot of people get out of the relationship and then they've got all of this emotional uh, stuff going on, the pining, the longing to remembering the good times. And then they end up back with the person again because they don't realize but their brain is going through withdrawals. Mm. Um, and that's the part that I think a lot of people miss when they're trying to get out of an abusive relationship. I never would have uh, thought of putting it that way, but that makes sense. So how do you, if the brain is addicted to kind of sensing this kind of behavior, how do you break that cycle where your brain is freed to not re-experience that, that um, sensation. It's similar to getting off of cocaine, heroin, 
maybe even alcohol, it's an addiction. So you have to plan as such, which means that you need a support group, need people that understand and support you getting out of the relationship. And that may not be family because your family may actually be part of the issue of you staying. And that was the case with me. You don't get a divorce. This is, this is what our family does. They get married and they never get divorced. You stick with that. And those were all beliefs that were not supportive of me trying to become more healthy and get out of the abuse. So it's important to have a support system that understands that you really need to get out of the relationship and they're willing to be there for you when the withdrawals start. And then I suggest that people write themselves letters. Why they're trying to get out of the relationship. When they're not emotionally triggered, write the letter, talk to yourself. This is why we need to get out of this relationship. And this is what we plan to do when we start feeling withdrawals. And then make a list of people you're going to call when you really want to text them, when you really want to call them or run into them somewhere. Uh, All those are going to be issues that you're going to run up against. But if you're not prepared for them, and you're not aware of why it's happening, you're very easily going to fall right back into it again. Hmm. So if you're writing a letter to yourself, who of yourself are you writing it to? Is your is it who you are now? Is it your future self? Is it like, how do you address that? Because, you know, I can see like, it would also get dismissed by who you currently are. You know, it would take a lot to break through. So how do you, who do you address that to really? Well, I suggest ongoing journaling um, because when you look back at what you've journaled through the parts of the relationship that were the hardest and the most toxic or unhealthy, then you can go back and say, oh, wow, I forgot all about that. I've been focused on the good times. Um, But like for me to say who you need to write the letter to or from, That would be entirely up to you, but I would suggest that you look at the healthy part of you that wants a better relationship, that wants to be treated better, Uh the part of you that knows that this is not right for you, and write it to the part of you that is longing to stay with this person. Gotcha. The idea of uh, journaling is is a good idea. Um, What what is the goal for the journaling? Is it just to identify kind of the conditions that you're in or is it to explain or identify like why particular things are happening? So down the road, you can kind of recognize patterns. Like what's Mm -hmm. the goal for the journaling itself? Both. Okay. Actually, you hit the nail. It's it's actually both. You want to Go back and look at uh, the times when you were in the most pain uh, so that you can say, oh, wow, that was bad. And I've somehow blocked that out. And all I'm focusing on right now is the good times. You also want to uh, plan for a future where you have someone in your life that is going to respect you and where boundaries are going to be honored and, and you're going to be heard and and all of the things that most of us want in a healthy relationship. So I, I really feel like it's important that you cover all the bases because this is a very difficult thing to do. And I have been there when my 
then husband uh, not only was had a drinking problem, but also a weed problem, but that kind of manifested into cocaine. And then from cocaine, it went on to, I think it was meth is what he was on the night that he beat me up with the worst. So it's like I kept hearing that he was going to go to uh, rehab. And, and I kept hearing that he was looking at places, but I never saw him sign up. Mm. And I kept getting hooked on the words. And uh, if I had journaled and remembered the time that he choked me, if I had journaled and remembered the Christmas Eve that he hit me because I didn't get him the right Christmas present, mm. then I probably would not have made the decision to trust that he's going to go to rehab and go back and give him another chance. So you would have shortened the cycle memory wise of going through the abuse again and again. Absolutely. Hmm. One of the, uh, you say it's a challenge to, to get out of relationships. I mean, one of the issues is I have to also believe is finance, you know, how do you financially, because, you know, especially in this economy, it typically takes two households to support a household you know, in terms of income, let alone if you have kids and whatnot. Um, what should people do if, and I'm male or female, if they're looking at trying to leave a relationship, like what would your advice be in terms of how do you cross that financial bridge? What are some steps that you should take? That's an important part. It's, it's sometimes the glue that keeps people together, yeah. in all honesty, especially and in, in with women be, because of how it's a little bit more difficult for women to make it. Um, you know, I don't really have an answer. All I know is that for me, it got to the point where I had to just break it off and trust that somehow I was going to find some kind of help or some kind of resource. And it was very, very hard. There's times when we barely had any food to eat, but it was far better than being beaten up. Uh-huh. And I had to make that choice. Uh, and, and so really it's about connecting with people that, that will support you, that will help you. Uh, sometimes that may be a church or a community center. Okay. It could be a battered women's shelter. Um, and they usually have the best resources. Uh, for me, I went to college and I, and I went to college on a scholarship and that's what I did. Um, and that was very healing for me. It's something that I wanted to do. Um, My ex at the time did not like me reading books. He didn't want me to further my education. Uh It was really important for me to take that step. And it was interesting how uh, the money just showed up, Um, Uh scholarships and gifts, uh, and I I made it through. But I don't think that there's a a, a one-size-fits-all answer for the financial aspect, but it is uh, incredibly important when you're considering leaving is how are you going to support yourself and your children so this is why i say just don't up and leave uh out of the blue is something you really need to plan for yeah Uh, well another good thing to note if you're going to be journaling is making note of these different things that you need you need resources in terms of knowing what organizations are around you to be able to help you whether, like you said, it's a church or uh, an abuse group, domestic abuse group, or, uh, uh, you know, what public money is available, um, food banks, um, 
you know, to be able to make sure that you do have enough food. Um, the second thing that you mentioned there, though, the idea of using the experience to then get an education, you know, be able to set yourself up so that you can, you know, be more secure in the long term. Because if you stay insecure, if you don't improve your condition as far as with what you can earn or with what you can do to support yourself, you know, I think a lot of times people end up going back just because, you know, they feel like they're trapped. They've, they've trapped themselves and they don't have any choices. You have to make, you have to make choices to, you know, be independent and really examine what that means and how, what do you want to do to make of your life, you know? Absolutely, 100%. And also there's the thing about, like when you're in these relationships, it's really difficult for you to move forward because it's in the benefit of the abuser to make sure that you do not. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So really it's almost impossible. I'm sure there are cases where, where they have happened but it's almost impossible for you to move forward when you're stuck in that abusive uh, cycle. What is your, what is your take on situations where somebody leaves, but they claim that they've been abused, but they haven't been abused. Like uh, gaslighting, basically the person that they were with, but um the fact that they, you know, they claim that they were abused, but they haven't been. How do you deal with that? I've dealt with that twice. So, um, yeah, it's not uncommon for an abuser to turn it around on the uh, victim and make themselves look like the victim. And that's a common practice. Gaslighting is one of the examples, but also they uh, go around and they collect allies, people in the community, people they know. Uh, their story is fabricated, but people sometimes actually believe them. Um, so it can be one of the most challenging things you can go through in life because you're not only facing the fact that you're leaving and then you have to face the withdrawals and the uncertainty, but you also may be, in, uh, may be facing um, community betrayal, family betrayal, all kinds of things uh, from people that you thought loved you and cared about you. Uh, and I and I actually did face that. I can remember going to the hospital when I had been beaten severely, and the nurses say, uh, you know, they were saying very derogatory things to me in regards to it. And he had already made it to the hospital before I had. But the point of the matter is, is that I don't know that there's any advice that I can give that's going to make it easier. But what I can do is say that there is support out there and you really just have to believe in yourself because that's the only thing that's going to get you through when, when the abuser is the one that's trying to become the victim. And then there's victim blaming going on and it can be very difficult on uh, the actual victim to have people turn on them that way. So this is why taking photos uh, making voice recordings, having a log of when the uh, abuse occurred is very important and hide it somewhere extremely safe because when these things start happening, you can pull this out and say, this is my proof. 
What about situations where, you know, somebody feels that it's abuse, but, you know, it is not abuse, you know, is it, is the perception reality or is it a matter of levels of, I don't know, uh, it, I've seen it where, you know, um, it could be spun that a person was abusing them, but in fact, they weren't. So it's like, how do, how do you deal with that? I mean, it's a difficult situation, you know, on both ends, you know, in terms of the reality that the one side claims and you know, the reality that the person that was left behind, you know, struggles to deal with because that's not the reality that they understood. Everybody has their own reality based on their filters, based on their conditioning. And it's very possible that both feel abused and it's very possible that the cycle was such to where uh, one one person did this and it turned around ended up coming back to the other person and and they can be quite messy but the the reality is that we all have our perceptions based on our own filters and this is where having a therapist uh or coach who's trained in this type of thing to really help you uh get in there and look to see what what the actual facts are based on like did this person actually abuse me or was this just my story because I didn't like what they were doing? And, and that's a journey in itself is really picking apart your part in the situation. For instance, with myself being in a domestic violence marriage, yes, I got physical abused and emotional abused, but I had to also own my own codependency. Uh-huh. Now that didn't excuse what he did, but that was my part. And so I had to deal with my own codependency and that took years for me to overcome. But it, it's, it's really about self-reflection, mm. about being clear, taking responsibility for your part and understanding the other person may never see it your way and yeah. they, never, they may never take responsibility for their share. But mm-hmm. it's about just really being clean within yourself and being real clear. How does how does having kids in the household change how a person should deal with an abusive relationship? Like, you know, I know a lot of people will tend, I, I've heard, you know, people will downplay the abuse because they feel like they need to keep the household together for the kids, you know, um, is it better for the kids to be in that kind of an environment or is it better to, you know, extract them and have them not see that kind of violence? You know, what, what's your thoughts on the subject? That's a very good question. Uh, and let me first say that I am not a child psychologist. So this mm-hmm. is uh, based on my own experience as a mother yep. and someone that's been a survivor. Both my go- uh, girls are uh, smart enough extremely intelligent and intuitive and I could never hide that kind of thing for them even if I put on a smile and tried to hold it all together children sometimes really know what's going on even though the mom is holding it together or the dad is holding it together 
trying to make it look like a happy family. Uh-huh. And so what I had to do for myself is what message am I sending them that's unspoken? And the message that I found that I was sending them is that abuse is okay. Yeah. And so it's, it's a personal choice. I suggest people go to counseling, which I did, uh, and really have to look at what message do you want your children to receive? Okay. And how do you communicate that with kids? Like when you're, when you're going to go through a situation where you are, you know, leaving the relationship, what do you communicate to kids in that kind of circumstance? Like, was there, was there a conversation you had with your girls that where, you know, Mm -hmm. I have to do this because of X, Y, and Z and they understood that or is it you know do you end up having to you know the worst thing is to have kids divided between parents in my experience and so it is uh, it is really difficult um it's it's a case-by-case basis really and and as i said i'm not a child psychologist but for me it was uh, what age appropriate, whatever age they were, uh, I had a different conversation with them. Mom and dad aren't able to live together anymore. And, uh, this is what's best for everyone. Mm -hmm. Uh, I won't keep you from seeing your father. However, you know, mom needs to, uh, make some changes and just try to, for me, it was just about not going into depth, not blaming, uh, but just explaining we're going to be moving to a new place. And um, or if in the case of some people, the other person may move out and and that person will be finding a new place. Um, So I I really would suggest that someone get experience from a child psychologist on that because I'm not trained in that way. Um, So I'm only speaking from my experience that I just had to give an age appropriate talk Mm -hmm. to them and just give them as much information as I felt that they needed. And if they had questions, they would come to me and ask. And of course, I try to be extremely honest with my children based on uh, however old they are, um, to give them the best honest answer. And my girls have both known that I don't lie to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, that helped them feel safe. But again, every child's different. That idea, though, of them feeling safe is really key. I mean, one of the key... Um, issues with uh, adverse childhood experiences is kids that don't feel safe end up having, you know, health issues down the road. It leads to other issues within the the child itself. So um, definitely being able to feel safe is is really key, not just for their mental health, but really in the long term for their physical health. And their social life, it affects their social life as well. Yeah, yeah. So when you extract yourself from a an abusive relationship, and is there is there kind of a time frame to kind of get your feedback under you so you don't kind of slip into the same behavior or the same situation that you're not jumping from one fire into another? Is there like how do you when you're going into a new relationship and you're extracted yourself from a, an abusive relationship how do you make sure that it doesn't happen again 
Well, that's a, a very good question. Um, it has a lot of answers, but the most important part is that for you to understand that it's not something you can just go to therapy a few times and, and have it over with and fixed. There's no light switch. Uh, and it's an ongoing journey of self-inquiry, of, of watching your actions, of questioning why you did this and why you did that, looking at what you're attracted to and why you're attracted to it. And a lot of people that get into uh, abusive relationships had some childhood conditioning as a child that somehow normalized that. And, you know, you have to really like dig in there and look at why did I not respond when that happened? What was going on with me? And take the time to go inside your little cave or whatever that feels safe for you and really look at why you didn't respond. And more often than not, you're going to find that somewhere in your childhood, you were told that that behavior is okay. So there's not really a timeline and it depends on how much abuse you went through uh, in the past uh, and how young you were. Like for a lot of people, it was pre-verbal and that's, you know, it takes a while to be able to get in there and, and find words for what uh, a child that can't speak would say and be mm -hmm. able to like verbalize that to a therapist. So uh, there is, there's no timeline. It's an ongoing journey. Um, and the biggest part is to learn to love yourself unconditionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the, um, that's, those are all excellent points. And, uh, you know, especially one of the issues when you're younger and you are in a kind of conditioned, um, part of what I've seen among a lot of people is that they've been, they haven't been taught boundaries, you know? Mm -hmm. And so this idea of learning how to set boundaries is really kind of key in terms of making progress. So how does a person go about getting the skill set to set boundaries. What do you think? It's been hard for me uh, because I would set a boundary and then I didn't know how to hold the boundary mm -hmm. or I was having a rough time or I was sick or whatever and the boundary fell through and then I'd have to try again. And uh, then I would have to ask myself, oh my gosh, why did I not notice that I just didn't back up my boundary here? So it's an ongoing process and it just depends on how much you were taught to not have boundaries when you were younger. And for me, I really just was never taught to have boundaries at all. So it really just depends on, on, on your upbringing and society, society sometimes uh, enables, uh, especially women, and this is not uh, necessarily gender specific, to not have boundaries, to fawn, to back down. Uh, and so I still catch myself fawning sometimes. And then I have to say, oops, there, okay, next time. And, and then, you know, next time catch myself again. So my boundaries are very good now, but it's, it's been a process. Uh, when you uh, have been conditioned, and I was by religion, I was conditioned to not have boundaries, but society, in the media and then by parents, um, my grandparents and, and my extended family all taught me to not have boundaries. So it was like, I didn't even know what the word boundaries was for many years in my life. Um, again, it really just depends on the person. One of the things that I found helpful for 
um, in a lot of cases is the importance of communication for boundaries, you know, to really be able to, you know, this is why this boundary exists. If you're talking to, for example, a new partner, to be able to have the lines of communication open so that it's not, you know, because the worst thing is when people have, you know, thoughts get in their head and they're just, they're stupid thought. They have nothing to do with the reality of why a boundary is set, you know? So I think communication is really key in terms of having both partners in a new relationship understand boundaries are good. This is why they exist, respecting them and being able to communicate around them. You're Absolutely. great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. And for me, communicating boundaries was one of the hardest aspects of having a boundary. It really was because I sometimes just struggle to get out what it is I'm feeling and thinking at the time. And then, of course, you want to express it in a way that's not uh, violent uh, because then it's just going to trigger the other person. And you certainly don't want someone to just assume you, you have the boundary, which a lot of people do in relationships. Well, you should know that is a boundary for me. Well, yeah, no, because you haven't communicated it. Uh, and so it is very important. Communication in general is important, uh, but with boundaries, it's absolutely imperative, not only for the person that you're setting a boundary with, but for yourself to be able to communicate that with, with uh, stillness. This is my boundary. Mm-hmm. I'm not willing to back down on it. And this is, you know, and then give the person the opportunity to decide how they feel about the boundary that you have and make that choice based on that. You really have to be securing yourself around the boundaries that you have and to be able to communicate them. Yeah. I mean, that idea of know thyself, it really, you know, no matter what, it all comes back to being able to understand who you are and who you want to be as a soul and as a, you know, as a being and, Mm -hmm. You know, it's tough in modern society to, you know, work eight, 10 hours a day, deal with kids, do the whole, you know, um, living life thing, and then think seriously about, you know, philosophically who you are, who am I, and be able to identify those things. That's hard work. That's probably the hardest work, I think. Yeah. You're right. Uh, And I could say that it has been the hardest part of my journey is really knowing myself. And then we change, right? So we know ourselves and then we change and then we got to know ourselves again. And it's an ongoing process. And this is why, like, I chose to marry myself uh, many, many years ago. And, And with that, I made a commitment to myself to love myself unconditionally and to always be there for myself. And that was extremely important for me. Because that means that, okay, wow, you just screwed up. Okay, let's take time to really get to know what happened and why. What is it you need? To know? And so it does take time and you have family and you have bills to pay and you have work and stress and uh, you know all the other things that you have. And what I can say is that it just has to be important enough for you to carve out some time for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really don't know any other way. You had mentioned uh, that one of the things that inhibited your um, 
constructing boundaries was uh, religion, was the uh, kind of the religious uh, environment that you were brought up in. What role do you think spirituality plays on the other side of helping you um, extract yourself from abusive rela relationships and in terms of rebuilding yourself? Like, does spirituality play a role in a positive sense? It does. Uh, you know, the connection that I have to my higher power, uh -huh. whatever name that you give that. Um, it's important for me to keep that connection. And for me, uh, I do that through nature. And that's how I stay connected to the higher source, uh, which is my spirituality. But I also take time every day to meditate. And that can be uh, a multi multitude of ways you can meditate. Mine's active meditation. But really... Uh, spirituality is what got me through all of this um, because at that time I was questioning uh, the aspects of my religion that weren't supporting a healthy me. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, the spirituality is what I had in place of that. It kept me connected uh, in a way that uh, nothing else could. Mm -hmm. Well, it replaces those negative things with a more positive force. And Absolutely. And like you said, with, with your own example in terms of meditating and walking in nature, I mean, those, those instances then also set aside time from that busy day to, you know, do that self-examination. You know, it kind of creates the framework to be able to do that. So however you interpret the spirituality, you know, it's an individual thing, but, you know, mm -hmm. it becomes a good framework to construct around yourself so that you can do the other work. Absolutely. Hmm. Is there anything else you would like to add in terms of advice to people who are going through this situation? Like any, anything that I've missed? No, this has been a wonderful conversation. Um, the only thing I would like to add is that um, even if you're not certain that your relationship is abusive, but you have noticed that you really feel bad about yourself all the time and you're questioning your sanity and, and then you're having trouble making decisions and there's some of the signs. Seek out and ask an expert because oftentimes when we're caught in the middle of this self-doubt, we can't, we can't know. Uh -huh. So it's really important to reach out to a source that you can trust that is uh, trained in it so you can talk them about whether or not it really is an abusive relationship. That's awesome. That's good advice. Um, if people want to follow up with you, could you uh, uh, share an email or a website where they can uh, reach out to you and learn more? Absolutely. Uh, my website is consciouslyawakecounseling.com. Uh, and my Facebook page is Lisa Hawkins Dating Relationship Coach. I have an ebook out on conscious relationships. Uh, that explains a lot of what it takes to be in a conscious relationship. And it gives you some tools for self-reflection. So uh, yeah, connect with me. I'm happy to, to connect with anyone. And please reach out to anyone, even if it's not me, if you're struggling with your relationship and you feel it's toxic. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to chat again today. It's always enlightening. And um, I think there's a lot of a lot of good advice for people who 
you know, might be struggling. And obviously it's during this age of COVID, it's even more, you know, difficult with people being more isolated. So I appreciate you taking the time to chat. Anytime. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Lisa. I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.